Well, hopefully you got a listening guide. They're right here at the giving stations. If you didn't, you can write down these scripture references as we go through this morning. But before the before there was a resurrection on that very first Easter Sunday, before Jesus lay in the tomb for three days, there was a day Jesus died crucified on a cross, a day we call Good Friday, which to some seems like a strange name because on that day, everybody was struggling. If you're familiar with the, what the Bible says, that on that day the disciples were struggling to keep their faith. They were bewildered by what was happening to their Lord. The religious leaders were struggling to discredit Jesus. The Roman soldiers were struggling to figure out new and creative ways to torture Jesus. But no one struggled more than him. No one struggled like Jesus struggled that day. There he was, stripped naked, people mocking him, calling him a liar beaten with sticks, his face covered with spit. Chunks of his flesh were being yanked off his back as they whipped him. And here's what it makes you think about. Good Friday? It doesn't, doesn't seem like a day that should be called Good Friday. But the reason that we call it Good Friday is because of what actually happened that day. You see, without Jesus dying in our place, we would never be welcomed in God's sight. Here's how the Bible says it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. See, what Peter makes clear here is that Jesus' death was necessary for the great exchange where he would receive our sins, we could receive his righteousness. You see, the cross is really the opening scene in the final chapter of the unbelievable story of our rescue. As the scene of Jesus' crucifixion reached its culmination, darkness covered the sky in the middle of the day. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, It is finished. This was the announcement that every one of the sins of all of God's people were paid in the suffering death of God's Son. And so we want to begin this morning by recognizing that He has died for your sin. Died for your sin. You see, it's at the cross where we first begin to realize the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. And the realization that Although we owed a debt we could never pay, Jesus really did pay it all. Let's stand and sing this church. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in 
left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Let's sing that chorus one more time, church. Because Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Amen. Jesus, thank you for what you have done. God, we gather this morning to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are Lord. God, because of what you have accomplished today, we can celebrate who you are because of the forgiveness that you've given us, because you have indeed paid it all. God, we can celebrate today in spite of who we are. So, Lord, this morning, would you continue to speak to us through your word for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And as we continue to look at today and the things that Jesus has done and accomplished for us, we are, I'm reminded of a story in Genesis. You see, not only has uh, Jesus died for our sins, because Jesus died for our sins, we are now forgiven for our sins. Jesus has forgiven us because of what He accomplished on the cross. In Genesis, the Bible tells the story of Joseph. You're familiar if you've been reading through in D group of how uh, God worked in Joseph's life. But, you know, Joseph's life was not always roses. You see, Joseph, when he was young, was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely imprisoned. But as God had his hand in Joseph's life, Joseph eventually became second in charge in Egypt. After 17 years, as you read the story in Genesis, there was a famine in the land, and he had been separated from his family and his brothers, but they came looking for help and food. And after realizing that it, in fact, was Joseph that they were standing before who was helping them, Joseph eventually helped them to move their family to Egypt. And their father, Jacob, after moving, eventually dies. Now we see that after Jacob, their father, dies, the brothers, 17 years later, think that Joseph will now get revenge on them. We read in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15 that when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. You see, all of us have sinned, the Bible says. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and oftentimes the mistakes and the sins that we commit linger in our lives and follow us for years and sometimes decades. You see, after all of this time, Joseph's brothers were feeling guilty for what they had done. As we think about guilt this morning, many people carry guilt. There are actually two types of guilt that most people deal with. The first is legitimate guilt, which we'll unpack a little bit later. Legitimate guilt is felt when you have not asked for forgiveness. It's when you have committed a sin and you are guilty for that sin and you've not asked to be forgiven. The other type of guilt is illegitimate guilt. And that is when you have not accepted forgiveness. You see, Joseph had forgiven 
his brothers, but more importantly this morning, Joseph's brothers never accepted the forgiveness because they never asked for it. So the question that we'd ask this morning is, is forgiveness possible? Maybe you're here this morning and there are many sins in your life that you've done things that you're not proud of. You see, is forgiveness possible? This is the question that Joseph's brothers were asking, and it's the most important question that we can ask. If we aren't forgiven, then we are responsible for the penalty of our own sins. No amount of doing for God will satisfy that debt, as we often say around here, being right with God must precede doing right for God. You see, David's a great example of someone who made a lot of mistakes and really struggled with his own sin. We read in Psalm 32, 3 and 4, David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and for night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the day of the heat of summer. Many people often struggle with the reality of their own sin. You see, David, however, knew that there was a better way than to constantly struggle with the guilt of his sin. So if that is you this morning, please listen. David continues in verse 1. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, God took the guilt and the well-deserved condemnation that was rightfully ours, and he laid it upon Jesus. This is why David confesses here his sin. And as we read and just read in D group in 1 John 1, 9, that David is now forgiven of his sin by his confession and he is cleansed from all unrighteousness. Because of what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that Jesus defeated death, we can be forgiven of our sin. You see, in the forgiveness of our sin, Jesus has also cleansed you of your sin. Good morning. I'm uh, Brian. I'm also one of the pastors here, and I want to take just a few moments and um, talk for a minute about why this is so important. Why, why is it important that, that God has cleansed us from our sins? So let's just kind of paint a picture here as we begin our time. Um, sin in Scripture is portrayed as something to be um, extremely ugly, is portrayed as something uh, very dirty. What sin does is it soils and spoils everything that it touches. And, and we're fully aware of that. We, we know, but uh, we can see that around us. But I, wanna, I want us to understand that it's more than that. That it's, a, that it's a deep and dark and undeniable stain, not just on the things that we see around us, but on our very souls. It, that it's not just something that that is around us is something that's in us and it discolors and it distorts everything that we see but not only what we see but what we what we feel and it leaves us if we're honest sin leaves us feeling on the inside dirty and it we experience heartache and we 
no guilt and shame. And there's this inner turmoil that takes place because of, because of sin. And as Pastor Matt was talking about Joseph's brothers, that's, that's what they felt. It, it, it was something that, that was in them. It wasn't just something that's on them. And, and if you look at uh, Psalm 51, these won't be up on the screen, but if we can relate to what David is feeling. And exactly what I'm saying is what he communicates in Psalm 51. He says in verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And then in verse 10, listen, it's, it's something that's within. He says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Because sin leaves us oftentimes feeling spiritually, spiritually paralyzed. And there's this, this lingering stain. And there's nothing that we can do. There's no therapy that we can take. There's no religious uh, tradition or formula. It's not about showing up to church on Easter Sunday isn't going to, to remove that. Like there's, there's nothing that we can do. It's not our good intentions or our deeds that can bring cleansing. They can wipe away the feeling of guilt and shame that every human heart experiences. There's a, an oppressive weight of our failures and everything that we do and everything that we experience. And so the reason is because sin isn't just something that's on us. It's something that, that's in us. It's not something that we do. It's not, we can't take a shower and wash it away. We, we can't do that. And we can't, uh, especially in, you know, the current season that we're coming out of, you know, there's no amount of hand sanitizer that's going to make us feel any better on the inside. That we need something, something different. We need something more. We can't be wiped clean by some disinfectant. Here's, here's what we need. And this is the good news. I know it took a minute to get here, but this is the good news. That the blood of Jesus God's Son cleanses us from all sin. There's no other way to get rid of everything that I, just, that I just communicated to you. There's no possible way. There's nothing that you or I can do. It's impossible. Only the blood of Christ applied to the human heart can deliver a human, a soul, and allow us to be cleansed. Listen to what Titus says. Listen to what it says in Titus. It says, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And what that means is that means that as, as followers of Christ, as people place their faith in Christ, that we've then been cleansed from the stain of sin. As Matt was talking about what it means to be forgiven, to be saved and for, be forgiven, well, how? Well, it began when God laid our sin on Christ on the cross. And that is the very foundation of being forgiven. But understand something. A forgiven soul, this is such good news. A forgiven soul is a clean soul. A forgiven soul is a washed soul. A forgiven soul is a spiritually pure soul. And this is huge. That means as Christians, we're not fighting for purity. We're fighting from purity. We're not living to try to earn purity. But we're living from the reality that God has made us pure. That he has cleansed our soul. 
And it's my prayer for us this Easter that our hearts will be awakened to what it means to be cleansed and, and more clearly see what the Father has done for us through His Son, what He's done with our sin, and that we together can rejoice and celebrate and that we would experience the peace that God has intended for His people, this inner peace that comes with knowing that we have been made forever clean. But that's not all he's done. He's covered your sin as well. We actually have 17 pastors here, so brace yourself. It's, it's really, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> See, here's what happens. People, you, you get lulled to sleep just by listening to my voice week after week. So this way, you don't have time because then the voice changes. But as we started thinking about all the things that Jesus had done, that, he, that, that God forgave us, that he cleansed us, and now we're looking at the fact that he covered our sin. Now, I want you to think about something. I mean, wouldn't you agree we live in a dangerous world? It's a dangerous world. I mean, it's, it's da- we have danger from, from criminals and, and people who, who mean harm. We have danger from all sorts of accidents, illnesses. There's, there's all kinds of things all the time that are all around us that remind us that it's a dangerous world. But there's other danger besides just physical danger. Think about the danger that all of us have had to deal with. The danger of being known. The danger of people being able to see inside to who we truly are and what we've truly done. Because here, here's the thing. We all have, have failed. We've failed morally. We've, we've failed because of our limitations. We've failed to live up to expectations. And we're just, if we're honest, we're ashamed of our failures and our weaknesses. And we will go to almost any extreme to try to hide those from other people and from God. You see, shame has power, doesn't it? Shame tells us that it's dangerous for people to see our failures, to know our faults. But the Bible says that that's not where the danger lies. That there's a different kind of danger. That actually danger isn't trying to hide those. See, the Bible says, He who covers his transgressions shall not prosper in Proverbs 28. See, we hide in our homes or we hide away from our homes. We hide in our rooms. Some of us hide in our offices. Some of us hide in housework. Some of us hide in yard work. We hide behind computers or cell phones or magazines or hobbies. We, we hide behind our earbuds or Netflix or ESPN. We hide behind fashion because it makes us feel better. We hide behind education because it makes us feel better. We hide behind achievement because it makes us feel better. Some of us hide behind busyness. And some of us hide behind procrastination. 
There's denial, pretending what is true is really not true, or redefinition. We just blur the lines between good and bad by just giving something a new name that makes it sound like it's okay. Or here's one that we're all experts at, this substitution game we play. We feel like, well, we acknowledge that there's some bad things in our life and there's some bad things that have happened, but as long as there's some good things, those good things are going to offset the bad things. The idea that somehow we can just balance the account, but none of that is true. You see, here's what's true. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. See, Pastor Brian talked about our sin being cleansed. That's on the inside. But for sin to be covered, that's external. See, the point is that our sins have been forever covered by God through the blood of Jesus Christ in the sense that they can no longer be used against us to bring condemnation or judgment. Here's what it means. It means that this morning, if you're in Christ... You're free from shame Amen. because right. sin has been covered. Amen. Here's the way I like to say it. I say our past may explain us, but it doesn't define us. That's right. See, that's true whether it's shame that we feel as a result of our own sin and faults and failures or another sin against us. We're not left alone like orphans, but we're, we're called sons and daughters who have been set free from condemnation and shame by the covering of our sin, by a God who has not just cleansed us on the outside, praise on the inside, praise God he did that, but he covered us on the outside. Because of Jesus, we're free to speak up when shame wants us to be silent. When shame whispers in your ear that you're too, you're too bad, you've gone too far to be accepted, Jesus says we belong to the community of the covered. We have a living hope in Jesus. He's the one who has covered our sin and set us free from the shame of our past. If you think about it, he really has broken every chain, every chain. There's salvation in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've done on our behalf, the magnitude of being forgiven and being cleansed and being covered. And Lord, what that means for us this morning and what that makes possible for us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can walk into this place together, come into your presence and be reminded that you really have done exceedingly and abundantly above anything we could ask or think. And we want to say thank you for what you've done. We want to respond to you for what you've done. So help us to do that in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand?
Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Wow. I want to, um, as, we've, as we've seen so far, as we're talking about um, how in Christ we've been forgiven, and we've been cleansed, and we've been covered, what we're focusing on is what, what God has done with our sin. And it's important for us to understand that um, what God has done with our sin is uh, He's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And so this is, this is a, our next piece of the puzzle this morning. That these are the things that, just some of the things, I mean, we, had to, we, we could spend all day talking about what God has done for us through Christ. Um, but this is what we're focusing in on this morning. And there's some things, if this is true, that means there's some things that he will never do. If this is what he's done, then there are some things that he will, he will never do. God does not and never will he deal with Christians for people who place their faith in Christ according to our sins. Stop and think about that. He will never deal with us according to our sins. He will never repay those who belong to him according to our iniquities. Well, how do we, how do we know that? Well, listen to what David says in Psalm 103. He says, he will not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's what I just said. For as high as the heavens, then he's going to paint a picture for us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. That David rejoices in this steadfast love for those that fear God can only be measured. Stop and think about this. He gives us a a picture here that can only be measured by the distance between the heavens and the earth. And what I want to do this morning is I want to just... Um, help us put things in context so we can really understand what that means. I think so. maybe for some of you in the room, that's a very familiar passage of Scripture. But let's just stop and think about that. I, uh, for many years, I took a group of students to South Dakota. We did mission work on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation there. And uh, one of the things I loved about South Dakota is um, I can remember the nights there. And there's no lights. You're out in the middle of nowhere. And so you don't have all the lights that kind of wash things away. And I can remember I would always step outside and I would just look up into the sky. And it was almost as if I could just reach up and touch the, the stars. Maybe you've experienced that. You've been somewhere and you're like, man, like you can just see so clearly. I want you to, I want you to do that the next time it's nighttime. I want, you to, I want you to look up into the sky, gaze into the expanse of, of what's above us and pick a star, any star. And I want you to think with me, like how long, if you were going to visit that star, how long would it take for us to get to the closest star? Well, the closest star that we, that we, have, that we have is 4.3 light years away. That's the nearest star. Now let's put that in context. If you were to get on a private jet, because I know you all have private jets, and uh, so if you got on your private jet and uh, you traveled 500 miles per hour non-stop okay so you got on your private jet you're traveling 500 miles an hour and you did that for 24 hours a day seven days a week 52 weeks a year it would take you six million years to get to the closest star okay stop and stop and think about that the farthest point now, we, technology is amazing. The farthest point that our best telescopes can, can see, if you did that same thing, you got on your private jet and you traveled 500 miles an hour nonstop, it would take you, listen to me, 20 quadrillion years 
And that's just what we can see. That's the farthest point in our galaxy that we can, we can see. Now, I know we're speed preaching this morning, but I want to pause for just a moment. <laughs> Let that sink in. Stop and think about that. The closest star would take you six million years to get there. And this is how David describes the, the, the calculations that I'm, I'm describing to you. That's the best that I can do to illustrate God's steadfast love for you. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, it is incalculable. It is immeasurable. It is unfathomable love. And this is the picture that God paints of the likelihood of us being dealt with or repaid for our sins. And that is good news. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle as we do to believe this and to really enjoy what God has for us in this truth is because sin feels very close at hand. And as I talked about a little bit earlier, I mean, it's sin something that's in us. It's, it's like a cancer coursing through our veins. But David continues to help us fully grasp what's going on here. He says in verse 12, he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When he says remove here, what that means is God has taken steps to eliminate any possibility that our sins, that all of our acts of idolatry from our immorality, it can't and won't be used against us. How far does he paint? As far as the east is from the west. And I don't want you to think about this in terms of of two individuals that one set out going east across the globe and the other set out west across the globe. Now, it would take us a long time if we began walking, and uh, that's a long swim too. But if we began moving eastward and westward, it would take us a long time till we eventually bumped back into each other. But he wasn't thinking in those terms, and we need to understand that this morning. That God, God takes the guilt of our sin and he launches them eastward and he takes you and me personally and he sends us westward each perfectly on a straight line and so the question is is when and where will we meet up again with our sin and the point is we won't it we we will never that we're we're heading in two opposite directions he sends us in a completely different way and so why does god use such extravagant and mind-bending images and illustrations And I think it's simply because we often lack the capacity to believe something as wonderful as this. Because it is wonderful. And my prayer is that our hearts would awaken to the sheer magnitude of what he has done for us. The distance that he has put between us and the thing that separated us from him, which is our sin. He's removed it. But that's not all he's done. He's also blotted out our sin. Would you agree with the statement that God is gentle? I feel like we should agree with that, but is he gentle? Because he's not always gentle. There's areas in my life where he's clearly not gentle. One of those areas is the way he reminds me that I'm old. Now, I'm a couple, I'm, I'm a few days older than the other pastors, a couple days. But I have hair. <laughs> Just want to throw that in. And the pastor that's not here right now, that's on his way here with all of our students after their retreat, he doesn't have any hair either. 
And one day, we were in the grocery store together, me, Brian, Matt, Chandler, and they were acting like they normally do. I think they were arguing over what kind of Bluebell ice cream we were going to buy or something like that. And I was standing there with the buggy, and this lady walked up to me and said, are your boys triplets? (laughs) Well, thanks, God. That was encouraging. Yes, and when we get home, I'm beating them. Well, when, when we were looking at these different ways that God has dealt with our sin, and, and it, we came to he's blotted out our sin, and I thought about, you know, I just had to start thinking about how do I resolve this? How do I reconcile this? Well, again, the, the way you know that a, a pastor is getting older is by the, the illustrations that he uses to make sense of things. And you know what I thought about with regards to blotting out your sin is the Etch-A-Sketch. Oh, yeah. You know, I know if you're like 30 or under, forget what I'm talking about. Just imagine this with me. Uh, You probably can't even buy one anymore. Well, you can. You could buy it if you go in Cracker Barrel where they got all the old-timey stuff in there. You know? Because this is another thing. I hate going in Cracker Barrel because then my kids are always like, what is that? And I'm explaining what everything is. I'm like, I am like the authority of old-timey stuff now. <laughs> but an Etch-A-Sketch was this toy that my kids had growing up. In fact, I think I had it growing up where it had two dials on it. You know what I'm talking about? And you could make the line move and you could draw a picture. But it was really hard to do. And half the time you would mess it up. But it was no problem because all you had to do was shake it. And the screen went blank. It blotted it out. See? And I thought, yes, that's, that's, what, that's what this text reminds me of. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 43, I am he, God says, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. What a blessing this is. You see, I, I think about how through the course of our lives, we have painted these sketched out these ugly pictures, haven't we? These ugly parts and seasons of our life where there was sin and rebellion and ingratitude and jealousy and lust. But through salvation in Jesus, God's loving and gracious hand shakes the screen and he blots it out. He wipes the slate clean. I want you to notice something interesting about this verse. Let's look at it again. God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions, but notice, for my own sake. Isn't that interesting? Why wouldn't God do it for our sake? Wouldn't that make more sense? Well, in one sense, he does do it for our sake. I mean, it's obviously a great advantage that God blots out our sin and our guilt. But this is an expression not of our value and worth, but this is an expression of of who God is. It's his nature. God blotting out our sin is for him. And think about this. So he can be fully for us. 
See, it allows him to relate to us in the most intimate and personal, close way possible. See, this means that that every barrier between us and God has been eliminated so that we can experience him to the fullness. It's hard to really get the, the, the picture here that it's for his own sake, but maybe think about it this way. Imagine your child was dying of cancer and you were there at your doctor's office and the doctor looked at you, looked at you and said, there's, there's nothing more that can be done. And then a few weeks later, you see a new doctor and this doctor gives your child a, a pill. And within minutes, all the cancer is gone from your child who is now restored to perfect health. Think of the great sense of appreciation you would have for this new doctor. Wouldn't it be more than you could even imagine how, how grateful you would be for all that this doctor had done? But what would happen if the next day you woke up and your child was still completely healthy, but you had no memory of them ever being sick, and therefore you didn't even remember them being healed? What then would happen to your appreciation for this new doctor? Well, it would be diminished because you wouldn't remember what he or she had done on your behalf. See, God doesn't blot out our sin from our mind because then we would lose the joy of all that he's done for us. You see? He blots it out of his mind. So therefore, he can move fully close to us. See, today we have the opportunity to live every single moment Every moment in the gratitude of the rescue that God has provided for us in Jesus. In the very next chapter of Isaiah, God says it this way, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. So think about the next time you look up in the sky and you see a cloud and And one minute's there, and the next minute it's gone like a mist. That's the point. In Christ, God has blotted out all our transgressions and our sins for his sake so that we can fully experience the loving heart of our creator, God. But that's not all he's done. Tony told the story, Brian looked at me and said, I don't remember it that way. As we recall that God has forgotten your sin and refuses to remember it, sometimes we don't remember things uh, or we choose to forget those things. You see, the Bible says in Revelations chapter 12 that the enemy is an accuser of the brethren. So as we talked about guilt earlier, here's what we know. We know that oftentimes our sin is used against us by the enemy, right? Things that are often uh, come up in our minds to remind us of the failures and the mistakes that we've made, the things that uh, we've done that were against God. You see, as we talk about Jesus forgetting our sin, 
and refusing to remember it. Well, I want to make a distinction this morning. There is a difference in forgetting and choosing not to remember. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, 17, which is a quote from Jeremiah 31, 34, he says, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. What a great reminder of what God does to our sin as Pastor Brian mentioned, as Pastor Tony mentions. You see, if I forget something, if you forget something, well, if and or when I remember it, I may still hold it against you. You may still hold it against me, right? If you say, oh yeah, I forgot that you did that. But the Bible teaches us that when God chooses not to remember, He still knows our sin. Remember, God is omniscient. That means He knows everything. But God chooses not to count our sin against us because of the forgiveness of Jesus. You see, God doesn't forget our sin, but He chooses not to remember or to count those sins against us. And the guilt that we talked about earlier, that we feel, well, it can cause us to believe that even though our sins are forgiven, that God may still use those sins against me. You see, that's what the enemy wants you to believe, that your past does define you. That the mistakes that you have made are the indicator of who you are. You see, the problem is not that we feel guilty, which is often true for many people. The problem is that we are guilty. But because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. You see, our forgiveness is not based on what we have done, praise the Lord, but it is on what Jesus has done. And so what happens with forgiveness is that when God looks at us, He sees me and you through the lens of Jesus. This is huge for us to remember. You see, the Bible says in ten fourteen of Hebrews, for by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. As Pastor Brian talked about, that we, are, uh, we live from a position of purity, that we are spiritually clean. And what guilt tries to cause us to believe and what the enemy uses in our life is the fact that we have sinned, that we are guilty. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death. And all of us declare that it's not that we're good. It's not that we have not made a mistake, that we have not sinned. We, in fact, have sinned. That's the entire point of the message today is that all of us have sinned. But look what Jesus has done. You see, the Bible says that for a single offering, which, of course, is Jesus, as Pastor Tony talked about with the crucifixion, Jesus has perfected us for all time. Think about this. Because of Jesus, we are perfected in the eyes of our heavenly Father. Now, if we're honest, certainly for me, I can admit and certainly confess that I don't often feel perfect, right? But the beauty of true forgiveness is the promise that He will never hold our sin against us if we've received His forgiveness, right? It's not that we don't sin. Listen, you're going to leave here today encouraged, and you know what you're going to do this afternoon? You are going to sin. It is not that we don't sin. It is, it is simply that we have been forgiven of that past sin. We are forgiven of this 
present sin, the, the mistakes that we make today. And listen, it is that we are forgiven of future sins. You see, our perfection, this is huge, our perfection is based upon our eternal union with God. Because of what Jesus has done, we have been unified, Romans 5, we have made peace with God. And so our position through the lens of Jesus makes us perfect. You say, well, I don't feel perfect and that doesn't make sense. Well, what does the latter part of the verse say? He says what? For a single offering, he has perfected us for all time. But what does it say at the end? For those who are being sanctified. That's me and you. That he sees us through the lens of Jesus that we are perfect, but that we are being sanctified. This means that we are not instantly sinless. Our sin can no longer affect, praise God, our eternal position with God. Just like you can't work your way into salvation, you can't sin your way out. Our sin no longer affects our eternal position with God. But it can affect, and this is where a lot of people get hung up, it can affect our relational communion with God. You see, Peter, you know the story, famously denied Jesus three times. Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And certainly we read in the Gospels that he did. But here's what is so beautiful about what happened, is Peter's sin did not disqualify him for heaven. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 61 and 62, the Bible says the Lord turned. When Peter denied Jesus for the third time, it says the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. How he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Think about that scene. When Peter denied Jesus for the third time, Jesus looked at him. And the Bible says that it was Peter who remembered what Jesus said. You see, Peter's tears were not merely tears of remorse. They indicated a true sorrow and turning from sin. And it was not until Peter saw Jesus' face and he remembered the words that he grasped the seriousness of his sin. And the Bible says that he went out and wept bitterly. You see, this is a profound lesson for you and for me. It was not Peter's sin in and of itself that caused him to repent. Peter's forgiveness and his restoration came when? When he turned from sin to God. And it was this forgiveness that Peter experienced. It's this forgiveness that we experience that frees us to live for God in spite of our sin. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, Jesus has defeated death as we will talk about in a second. And they go to the tomb to see Jesus and to prepare his body and they find Jesus there. And he said to them in verse 6, Do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, verse 7, and look what it says, And tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, the angel declares, just as he 
told you. Look what the Bible says here. It says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. This is what I want you to remember this morning. Jesus wanted Peter to know. Jesus wants you to know that you don't have to live with sin and guilt and condemnation. You can be forgiven, never to be accused again. All we have to do is to turn to Jesus. You see, you, just like Peter, can be included. Can you imagine as they were declaring that Jesus said that we would meet him in Galilee. And Peter was thinking, I'm sure he doesn't mean me. All the things that I've done, all the mistakes that I've made. And yet the angel said, no, tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was included this morning. You can be included in spite of your sin in the forgiveness of Jesus. That you and I, because of what Jesus has done, God sees us through the lens of perfection as we are being sanctified. So when the enemy tries to remind you of your past, remind him of his future. And remind him of your future. God, thank you for what you accomplished through Jesus that as we often remember our sins, God, that you have chosen not to remember our sins. God, that you have removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, that you have cleansed us, that you have covered our sin, that you have blotted out our sin. And so oftentimes, God, we get tangled up in the feeling of guilt and condemnation and being accused by the enemy. But God, would you help us to live positionally the eternal union that you have obtained for us God as Pastor Tony said for your sake that we would be near you that there would be nothing between us this morning God the reality is that we have not sinned the reality is that we have all sinned but that you have done something to remove that sin <coughs> that you have cast our sin out, that you have looked at us as you looked at Peter and you reminded us that you love us, that you have included us, that we are yours. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Stand with us.
want the Catholics to have anything on us today. I mean, we can do this too, right? So that's what he's done. He's died for your sin. He's forgiven your sin. He's cleansed your sin. He's covered your sin. He's removed your sin. He's blotted out your sin. He's forgotten your sin and refuses to remember it. That's what he's done. But what does what he's done 
mean for me and you personally right now? What does all of that look like in our life? Because the reality of the situation is, is as we have made clear over and over through our time together, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans chapter 3 says. Well, I think there's at least three things personally that all of what God has done means to us today. The first thing is that Easter is the solution to our sin problem. It's, it's the solution. See, he, he might have done all this, but we've got we've to receive the reality that we couldn't have made it without that being done. That none of us is perfect. And listen, we want to be a church that is honest. We want to study the Bible honestly for what the Bible says. We want to believe it honestly for what it says. We want to live it honestly for what it says. And sometimes doing so makes us and other people uncomfortable. But the reality of it is, is that if, if we come to church and we pretend like we're okay and we pretend like we, we haven't struggled or haven't sinned or don't struggle or don't sin or whatever the case may be, then, then we failed to live out what the Bible says. We failed to be authentic to who God is. See, we, we don't want to be a church where we just pass each other in the hall and everybody says, yeah, I'm doing fine. How are you? We want to be real with each other. We believe that God made us a family so that we could depend on each other. We could lean on each other. We could, we could celebrate the fact that we don't all fall weak at the same time. And so we can prop each other up when we need to. That's why when we get done with this service, we go into what we call community group. And we, we gather into smaller groups because this is a big room. And then about an hour from now, there'll be another big group in this big room. But it's in community group where we, where we shrink down and we're reminded and we get to know each other. We get to walk together. We get to realize the reality of we have a sin problem. But we also get to, to hear about the way that God has dealt with our sin. And we get, to, we get to celebrate victories in each other's lives. And we get to realize that what God is doing in somebody's life is what God wants to do oftentimes in our own life. So Easter is the solution to our sin problem. The second thing Easter is, is it's the solution to our hope problem. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but we have a, we have a major hope problem. And here's why I believe that. It's because, have you ever thought about the fact that hope is always connected to the past? If you start thinking about hope, and, and, and if, if I said, are you a person of hope, and you began to gauge in your mind how hopeful you are as a person, you can't hope without connecting it to the past. It's the only way hope works. You see, the way that I see the future is going to be connected to what I've experienced in the past. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Think about it. If when I, look, when I look back at the way I chose to do things time and time again the wrong way, even though I knew the right way, or when I look back at the way others have failed or wounded me, 
Or maybe the times that we were bullied or ignored or taken advantage of. See, all of those are, they choke out our hope. The pain of yesterday chokes our hope in tomorrow. And even if, because we've all experienced this, even if some good things begin to happen in our present, the realities of the pain or the failures of our past immediately remind us that although things are going good, we know there's a high likelihood that it won't last. But what if we did something different? What if we connected our hope not to our past, but we connect our hope to Jesus' past? See, that's what God calls us to do as as believers. If we connect our hope to the one who has kept all his promises, to the one who has proven his love for us by dying on the cross, to the one who has made forgiveness available to us, if we connect our hope to him, everything changes. The Bible says this. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Think about this. To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that's something to hope for. And what the, what, what the Bible's telling us is that the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus solves our hope problem because we can connect our hope, not to our past, but to his past. Because when we look back, we're not trying to figure out how to hope in our power to do better, but our hope is in his power based on what he has already done. So Easter is a solution to our sin problem and to our hope problem. And one more thing. Easter is the solution to our eternity problem. See, Easter is the story of a God who the Bible says wants none to perish, but all to have eternal life. See, Easter is the story of a God who said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the the hope of Easter. That's what Easter does to our eternity. See, you and me, if we think about it, do you know what we are? We're the most expensive purchase at Easter. It cost God the blood of his son. God loves you so much that he would send his only son to shed his blood for the purchase of our eternity. He came for us. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10 that says that he, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a ransom for many. See, it's not that he just gave his life. There's more to the story. You see, Friday is bloody body hung on the cross. Saturday is lifeless corpse lay in the tomb, but Sunday came. Sunday came. On Sunday, in the middle of the day, the sky turned dark. The disciples were scattered. The Roman 
executioner was heading into work that day like he did every other day. He was probably wondering, wonder what this day holds. I wonder how many I have to execute today. Maybe he was wondering what he was going to do on his next day off. I don't know. Maybe he was wondering what he was going to eat for lunch that day. I don't know. But I know what he wasn't wondering. I know that as that executioner was going to work that Sunday, he was not wondering what happened to that man he nailed to the cross on Friday and pierced in the side on Friday. He wasn't wondering that. You know why? Because he knew for sure that he was dead. He knew for sure that that story was over. That's when God shook things up. That's when the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women who were there, Do not be afraid, for I know that you... You seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come in and see the place where he lay. See, Jesus is risen for your rescue, for your rescue. He's risen for your rescue. Because of the resurrection, everything changes. Everything about the way we see life, the way we understand uh, danger, the way we, we even look to death, the way we speak about death changes because of the resurrection. Death changes. You see, without the resurrection, death used to be the end, but now it's the beginning. Even going to the cemetery changes. People once went there to say goodbye. But see, now we go there to say, we'll be together again soon. It's because of the resurrection. See, religion died on Friday, but grace was made available to the world on Sunday. The miracle is not just that the tomb was empty on the first Easter morning. The miracle is that every day since that day, Every day since that day, people have the opportunity to be invited into the same resurrection power in their own lives and hearts. Your sin is forgiven. You've been cleansed. It's been covered. It's removed. It's blotted out. It's forgiven. And all of that is through salvation in Jesus alone. See, the Bible says that when, when, when you feel this tugging at your heart in a moment like this, when you, when you feel that sense of something beyond yourself is going on, the Bible says that that's God knocking. Knocking on your heart. We have to answer the door when he's knocking. The scripture says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. See, God did all this. He did. 
It's real. It's true. It's, it's unbelievable, this rescue story. But he did it all. But it's, it's all for nothing. It's all to no avail if you have not received him as Savior. See, you remember the story I told about a child who had cancer and a doctor who gave some magic pill and, and healed cancer. And when I told that story, I said, well, wouldn't you be filled with gratitude towards that doctor? And, and we all connect with that and realize, oh, my goodness, I'd be so grateful and so thankful. Listen, Jesus didn't just heal us from a temporal thing like cancer. He healed us for all of eternity. For all of eternity. So for those of us in the room who know him as Savior, what this moment is right here on this Easter for us is to, is to respond in gratitude to what he's done. To be re-overwhelmed by all that God's done through the gift of his son, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. Like we should never get tired of just saying, God... Thank you so much for what you've done and help me to live in the coming days based on the truth that we've been reminded of this morning. And then if, if, if you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're struggling right now because you don't know if this applies to you, you don't know if this is true for you, then wouldn't today, wouldn't this moment be the moment that you would want to address that? At least talk to someone about that, pray about that, find some answers about that? Yes. We're celebrating the resurrection. It's a great day for you to be resurrected as well. So what we're going to do in a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to, to to come up to the front and to kneel at the altar or to talk to one of the pastors. We'll all be up here. It's an opportunity for us to come and kneel at the altar and just say, God, thank you for what you've done. We're so grateful. I'm so thankful. I'm so re-overwhelmed. I'm reminded of what it felt like the day you set me free. And then for some of you, it's an opportunity to come and say, take one of us by the hand and say, will you pray for me? I want this to be true for me. I want this to be real for me. I don't want to go home another day with all of this hanging over my head or weighing upon me. And we'll celebrate that with you. You see, because we all know what that feels like. We've all been there. We've all been there. But the great news is you don't have to stay there. So let's stand one last time together. And let's just respond to God for all that he's done with all of our hearts in, in gratitude and worship to him. And let's not let any fear or any shame or anything hold us back. Listen, if you want to come and kneel at the altar, you just make your way out of the aisle and you do so. Everyone will scoot, scoot away and let you through. If you want to come and talk to one of the pastors, we're here. We love you. We're here because we love you. You just come on. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to be reminded to just be re-overwhelmed by all that you've done, Lord. It's overwhelming to consider 
the reality, Lord. And so oftentimes we, we don't live up to what you've done. We forget, we, we, we begin to live as if old things are, are not new. God, help us today to just come before you and say thank you. To come before you and say help me, save me. Be my Lord. Give me the, the peace and the assurance I need. Whatever the need is, God, you're the answer, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, in these moments, will you do the work that only you can do? And we promise to give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The altar's open. You come. You come.